Hey folks, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get as seen by as many eyeballs as possible. You can also directly support Sex Talk as a super fan on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash sextalkwithericamiley. And for just the cost of a cup of coffee, y'all, you should know I love my coffee. <laughs> you help Sex Talk with editing, hosting, and getting the word out to others just like you. Help to spread curiosity about sex and keep the knowledge bombs dropping to everybody that has or wants to have sex. And a big thank you to those of you who've already become super fans. You're rock stars and I so appreciate you. That's patreon.com slash sex talk with Erica Miley. All right, let's get into the episode. Sex talk with Erica Miley Cause sexuality is tough and okay, sexist isn't good enough, no. Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. Just you and me today. So I've been, I mean, most of my listeners, though you regulars, shout out to all the countries in the world that are listening regularly. I mean, the United States, but of course I live here. So that's a big part of it. But I want to give a shout out to Norway and some of you other European countries who are out here listening to the show. Thank you. I'm just, just tickled. I'm just tickled that y'all are here. And Canada, yeah, listening a ton. Again, shout out to our northern neighbors. So I, I many of you are super aware of how curious I am. I'm, I'm curious to, I mean, my mother would say to a fault, <laughs> but I think uh, I get curious about lots of different things and then want to do like uh, extensive research on that thing for like ever. So I decided to start looking at sexual practices across the world and see what are we all doing the same? What are we all doing differently? What are we all, what, what are we doing? <laughs> and I, found, I ran across an article actually by Vox and I'm going to give a shout out to the writer, Zach Bowchamp. And I'm probably, it's probably Bowchamp. Who knows? I'm Zach, I apologize. I'm going to tag you uh, and you can send some hate my way if I'm saying it completely wrong. But shout out to you. This article is really, really, really great. And I'm going to put it in the show notes so that you all can take a look at it because the charts in it are fantastic. Essentially, Zach does an entire article about the face of what we're doing across the world when it comes to sex. Lots of charts here. <laughs> Lots of charts in this article of what how we're having sex across the world. Now, I want to put some caveats on this data because I took a look at the data that uh, Zach lists in the article. And so something to, to note, this is mostly, it seems from the demographics, mostly a representative sample of heterosexual sex havers. So that, looking at the data, made me go, ah, you know what? I'm going to do a series. <laughs> so I'm going to... Uh, this is like the general episode where I'm just going to introduce what we're seeing, not only in this article that Zach talked about, but I want to talk to each of you. I want to talk to you across the world. I want to see how, how we're having sex, what education we all got, what we're all getting. I know I, in one of my early episodes, I talked about the sex education across the United States, which is a uh, big surprise, shitty, but 
I really want to hear from all of you, hear from experts across the world, but also just hear from you across the world what what you've experienced as far as sexuality, sex education, all of the sexual health knowledge across the world just seems to vary very widely. And our experiences are varying widely. So a lot of this data in this article is from Durex, which is a condom company. So keep that in mind. Again, like (laughs) I've said this before, sexual health research is often not invested in across the world. And when it is, it's sometimes supported by companies that have a benefit at the end of getting that data, right? Like Durex is a condom company. Obviously, they are a company that benefits from having data on people's sexual health. So uh, kind of much like uh, Pornhub's big thing that they do every year, looking at all the data they've collected on all of us from across the world on what we're looking at on their website. So keeping this in mind that there is a there is a goal with this data. And but the data that they did do was methodology. Words are hard, y'all especially on a Sunday, that's when I'm recording, (laughs) methodologically rigorous. So what that essentially means is that there's a pretty large sample size and they use online polls to capture a representative sample. Now, that also means a representative sample means that they have polled lots and lots and lots of people and specifically heterosexual sex havers from a number of countries. And so we can guess based on the amount of data from these various countries that it is a sample size that is enough to tell us something about people's general practices. So keep in mind, there's this doesn't take into account gender equality. This doesn't take into account people from lots of different sexual identities. So that's Um, That's actually one of the big reasons why I wanted to turn this into a series, because I really want to hear from all of you. I want to hear from lots of different identities. I want to hear about how you are encountering, encountering sex, not only in your own lives, but in the country that you live in. So keep your eyes peeled for the lots of different countries. I'm also going to try to turn this into a video series. So, uh, keep your eyes peeled, but let's get started into what we know from the data from directs. So, It appears that people in Nigeria and and Mexico are having some of the most, it's not most, the more exciting sex. And so they they actually took a look at across the globe and they created a map, a map of global excitement. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, that's great. And apparently, sorry, sorry to the French. I love your food. Just saying, but y'all aren't living up to the reputation. (laughs) That's a stereotype of being great lovers, right? So at least that's what they tell us in the movies, that the French are great lovers. But apparently in regards to who's having the most exciting, reporting the most exciting. So this is by self-report. So keep that in mind as well, right? There's some biases here. Exciting in quotation marks. The US and Canada are in their 41 to 50% likely to have or report a sexually exciting life. But Russia is reporting 71 to 80%. And so are Nigeria and Mexico, 71 to 80% of their population, at least based on the data that Durex collected, are reporting a sexually exciting life. So, I mean, 
we don't know. This is self-report, right? So we don't know what they're classifying for themselves a sexually exciting life. But uh, it, it, it is apparently, based on what Durex found, they, they tend to be much happier with their sex lives. And they feel more respected during sexual acts. I mean, you know, take this as you will, but I think that's pretty interesting perspective. The percent they actually looked at across this data, the sexual well-being survey, that's what the survey they used, the percent of people who feel respected during sex, they actually put this in a chart as well. And Mexico was some of the highest with 88%. And Brazil was not far behind it with 83%. Spain, not all that far either, 80%. And the next six highest countries at average 72%. So respect during sex really doesn't fully explain excitement on its own. I mean, let's be real about that. It really, it, it doesn't. But it, it does help explain maybe a part or some of what may, maybe makes a, a country potentially more willing of, or, and how Zach puts it, more excited about sex. But I, I mean, it is, again, self-report. We do not know how they're defining excitement here, but it is fascinating nonetheless. <laughs> Sadly... Japan, I'm not, there's not a lot of good news here, but I I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do an entire episode about Japan specifically because I mean, Japan has the, the penis festival. Uh, You can, I actually saw it on, (laughs) there was a special on prime, Amazon prime. James May did a Japanese special and they went to the, the penis festival. This is something I definitely want to see one, but two, at least on this scale, Japan's results are, are sad. Only 10% of Japanese people report exciting sex. That's less than a third of the next lowest, Hong Kong at 32, which it unsurprisingly leads to number two. People in Japan are really unhappy with their sex lives overall. Again and again, Durex's surveys found that Japan stands out. So you folks living in Japan... I want to hear from you. Email me, email the show, go to the, go to our website, sextalkwitherica.com. Hit us up. I want to know, is this true? Uh, do you, did you experience this? That uh, even among the worst performers, Durax's surveys, Japan stands out. The below chart shows six countries in the world where less than 40% of the people report being very or fully satisfied with their sex life. Note the difference between Japan's pink and yellow bars and everybody else's. So in this chart, and again, I'm putting this in the in the show notes so that you could actually pull this up and take a look at this chart. Percent dissatisfied Japan, Japan's percentages based on this bars bar graph is that they're dissatisfied that 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 line is real that's real high and it's there's a super high neutral bar and the percent satisfied is really really low in comparison to countries like france hong kong thailand singapore italy germany malaysia i also let me let me say this too about this episode i don't even want to pretend like I am a expert in cultural sexual practices or education across the world. That's actually why I wanted to do this series because I feel like I don't know. (laughs) And I want to hear it not only from you, but I want to see what research we have available to us that shows us like, what what are we doing? What are we doing across the world? So I I just want to, again, reiterate that I do not 
at all feel like I am a cultural expert in this way. And if somebody does feel like they are a cultural expert about sex across the world, get in touch with me because we want to, I want to talk. Let's, let's chat. (laughs) So Zach goes, the writer of this article kind of has a guess about Japan's sexual woes. He, He puts here in the article is that they're, they're just not doing it or just not having sex. 34% of Japanese folk report having sex weekly. The next lowest country, somewhat unsurprisingly, (laughs) big surprise, is the United States. We're right there with you, Japan. Reports a weekly 53% sex rate, though it this isn't the only indication of sexual satisfaction. 76% of Italians are having sex weekly and they're still near the bottom of the satisfaction pack. So just because you are having sex frequently doesn't mean you are satisfied. And I wonder, and this does, that's Zach's perspective in his article. I actually wonder, this is just based on the many, many humans that I have talked to, talked to across the United States. I have to wonder if our expectations for what sexual encounters or sexual acts can do is skewed. I do have to wonder with what we think sex is versus what sex can be are two very different things. And that's why maybe our satisfaction may may vary. Also, I wonder how much our understanding about what sexuality or what are we are supposed to be doing in quotation marks insects are two very different things as well. So I, I'm, this is just me waxing over here. I don't altogether know why this is, but I, I just think it is an interesting thing that Japan, we're there, we're there with you. We're, we're not having, at least by report, having a lot of satisfactory sex. It's not surprising that Zach puts here that J- the Japanese are having infrequent and satisfying sex. For years, Japan reported some of the longest average working hours in the world. In itself, this makes sex less likely. So, I, I mean, that there there's some data that uh, Zach is kind of looking at to uh, two sides, that if you are working more hours and you have a higher percentage of stress, you're less likely to be engaging in sexual activity. That is absolutely true. On average, I mean, the United States, we are working a lot of hours and we're not having as much satisfying sex or having as much sex either. And something we do know is that the more stress that you have in your life, the less likely that you will engage in sexual activity. If 2020 is not a indicator of the likelihood of sexual activity in the face of a enormous stress, terror, sadness, we're, we are across the board in 2020, at least in the United States, having less sex. And this is, this is from just... I'm just telling you this from my client's report. I can tell you from my own report, (laughs) my libido is in the trash can. And a lot of that has to do just with the level of pain and stress that I have in my life. Hearing from my clients, this is not me saying that I would change anything for the world right now other than wishing that the pandemic was over already, just like the rest of you, that the level of pain that has gone up in my life has decreased my ability to feel pleasure generally, not just sexual pleasure. I'm talking about any kind of pleasure. And the way that I talk about this with my clients is that when, when our buckets are so empty and there's a hole in it, we're desperately trying anything to put any kind of pleasure in it. And it's running out the bottom as fast as we can put it in. 
So my piece of my piece of advice here is I, I really want you to do your best to manage your own expectations of what you can actually accomplish here, not only just with sex, but with anything else. We need to adjust our expectations as we get closer to potentially a vaccine as we, as many of us are facing here. And uh, as I record this, this is uh, December 2020. We are facing another long year of lockdowns and, and modifications to our ability to be together. I'm not making any commentary on what we need to be doing there, but I am just commenting on our ability to manage this level of stress for the length of time this is. Now, this article that Vox put out was written in, I think, 2012. Let me double check my brain. 2015, my bad. It was updated in 2015. So obviously, a very different period of time. And I have colleagues who are out here doing research on sex during 2020 that, guess what, we're going to I'm going to do an entire episode once we have some of the data. Um, I might even bring some of those colleagues in to talk about that because this 2020 is, we got an asterisk on 2020. It is a different, a different year to say the least. So, but let's get back to what we know, at least for, for now in general. And then we'll talk about life later <laughs> after life during 2020 and the, the, the life after 2020. The orgasm gap is real. So I do want to talk about this because this is, uh, this is common. Uh, the very, very sure for sure in the United States, there's actually a wonderful book. We've had the writer on the show called Becoming Cliterate, where Dr. Lori Mintz talks a lot about the orgasm gap. But specifically across the world, around 40, 48% of people worldwide always or almost always orgasm. Unsurprisingly, the figure for men is 61% and 20 that which is 28 points higher than the equivalent for women. 33%, which is interesting. And the gap varies by country. So there is here in this article, there's a global orgasm gap. Uh, map. And I'm just going to kind of go through it as I'm looking at it. 41 to 50% of each country is the percent of women in each country reporting always or almost always orgasming during sex from the from percent of men who report the same. As I look at this, it does look like the United States and Canada is up there in that 41 to 50%. Australia is there. Shout out to Australia. We got quite a few listeners in Australia. You're doing about as well as we are when it comes to this, the orgasm gap. But Nigeria has an implausibly small four point gap, which I think is really interesting. It's fascinating that that you're that you've got that close of a gap, suggesting that uh, in-person interviews are skewing the numbers, at least in this article. That's what they're saying. And uh, Zach points out exempting that Singapore, China, Mexico had the smallest differences between male and female orgasm rates, while Russia and Thailand had the largest. The thing that the most surprising about this is that there's virtually no correlation between a country's overall level of gender equality and its orgasm gap. Let's, let's pause there. That's an interesting finding. It's 
I think that's uh, an interesting, based on what I'm thinking, like I'm kind of tossing that around in my head, like live as I record this with you all. I've kind of found, interestingly, I, I just taught a class on those who've committed sex offenses and here in and that, like how, how and why uh, sex offenses happen. And it is, it appears, at least from the information that I was looking at, that it doesn't matter if you are an egalitarian country or not, the level of sex offenses that happen in that country don't go down based on whether or not the country is egalitarian or not. At least that's what we're finding for now. I, I think it might be interesting to see if we, we've tracked this across time to see if that actually is the case. So I, I wonder if that is something to look at here too, is that do sex crimes go up or down and do the, does the orgasm gap go up or down but over time? I mean, we could do that study. Hello, I, a study across time. This is, that's called a longitudinal study for those of you who are unfamiliar with research. Hey, quick break from the action. Sorry for interrupting y'all, but it's important to acknowledge that life has become seriously difficult for many of you these days. With the world feeling chaotic, I mean, I don't know about you, but a pandemic sure did it for me. Uh, so many big feelings about all of it and the state of our world. It's impacted our daily lives. It's hindered us from planning and it interrupted our mental and sexual health. I just want to take a minute to remind you that I'm not just a sex nerd. I'm a mental health therapist, and I have a team of other like-minded, badass therapists that are able to help you out. All my therapists are experienced and have been trained around sexuality, along with direct consultation with me if they need it. My mental health practice is completely online, so you can stay your butt at home and you don't have to park anywhere. It's really great that way. <laughs> With the lighter restrictions because of the pandemic, we're able to serve more people all over the United States and expats living all over the world and immigrants from all over the world. Just head to mentalandsexualhealth.com and sign up for a free consultation. I'm adding more highly trained therapists regularly, all comfortable. We're talking about sex. Again, that's mentalandsexualhealth.com. Okay, let's get you back to the show. We could look at over 25 years, we could look at the orgasm gap and the level of number of sex offenses in the country and see how much it changes over time based on whether or not the country is an egalitarian country or not. I think that would be fascinating. It would be some fascinating information we could find from that. Uh, again, here's my curiosity. <laughs> I keep <laughs> me and uh, me and my cohort while I'm getting my clinical sexology PhD. We're constantly talking about like, oh, there's another research project that we can find because there, we just don't we don't have enough research in the sexuality field. This is a in relation to other fields that there are ton, there's tons of years of research on sexuality. We're still we're still babies. We're still babies in the in comparison to some other fields. Um, so there's a ton of work to be done. So any of you who are thinking about joining the sexuality field in whatever regard you'd like to, there's a ton of room out here. <laughs> there's tons of things to learn. There's tons of information to find out because we're just now getting to figure this out and we're finally getting some openness. Not a lot. We're finally getting some openness to potentially get some of this data. And uh, the internet has actually given us a lot of that freedom. So plus one to the internet. Coming back to what we're what we're seeing overall, 
Turkey has an alarmingly high STI rate. I don't want to just point out Turkey. There's actually some, there's, when I'm looking at this chart, there's quite a few countries out here that have an alarmingly high STI rate. And the United States and Canada are right up there with Turkey. Well, let's see here. This chart is the percent of people who have never had an STI rate. So rewind. That's my bad. I, I read the. I was reading the chart wrong. So 51 to 60% of people in this chart that have never had a STI, at least this is based on self-report. Remember, this is this report in particular, I imagine is skewed just based on the level to which that we are ashamed as humans of STIs or having had them. I have done episodes on this show just on people's... I know I've done an episode on the show of someone actually talking about having an STI and the people's likelihood of reporting uh, that they've had an STI is different here. So Turkey, you're either, you either have an alarmingly high STI rate or you're just the most honest, (laughs) which I just based on the sheer amount of STIs that there are in the world and the, the likelihood that someone will get one is very, very high. So I tend to believe that, you know, Turkey, you're probably just more honest than the rest of us. So this this chart says that this is the percent of people who have never had it. The United States and Canada, we're talking about that 80, 90 percent of us have never had it. I think that's some bullshit to, to be completely honest. Europe is right there, too, saying that you've never had one. Australia, you're you're saying you've 80, 90 percent of people are saying they've never had one. When we know, we know just based on medical data that that's not true. So. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with this data. Durex, I don't think that you you could that you would have necessarily foreseen this. I think it'll be interesting to see as uh, time goes on, the more that we reduce shame around actual like sexual behavior, sexual outcomes, how much these numbers change. It does say in this report that Turkish folks are more likely to report their sexual partners. So they report more sexual partners than any other country in the world and appear to be doing it unprotected 45% of the time. Again, (laughs) I, I have to wonder if this is just based on being more likely to be honest about what's happening. It's kind of an interesting chart that they that that uh, is listed here. It looks like it's from the chart looks like it's from foreignpolicy.com. Norway, you're more than 70% of Norwegians admit to having had unprotected sex without knowing a partner's history, contributing to the country's whopping 21% rate of sexually transmitted infection. Let's see here. Israel, the typical the typical Israeli loses, they say lose virginity. We say sexual debut has their sexual debut at 16 years old, which the, with a national average of 10 sexual partners. And let's say like Israel and Japan, Bulgaria, and Italy are all right there clustered together. Thailand and Britain are right there too. So we're not alone here, folks. Even though if I shout out a country name, it's not because they're unique or a outlier. It's these these people are these folks on this chart are all lumped together 
this is interesting data because this matters to Durex, right? This specific one matters to Durex. Durex is a condom company. So this matters. <laughs> Durex wants to have their condoms in your hands. So this chart would absolutely tell them a lot about who they're reaching and how. So I encourage you to take a look at this chart because it is probably at least the most valuable one to Durex. And this says uh, the world's largest survey of sexual behavior with more than 317,000 participants in 41 countries. So this, this chart gives us actually an idea of how many people and how many countries they surveyed during this Durex research. And... It revealed that people having unprotected sex live in some of the world's wealthiest nations. <laughs> not, not a surprise there either, because even though a country is wealthy, especially the United States is a wonderful example of that, it does not mean that they are invested in making sure that you are educated about your body or how your body works and that you should have access to those things. That's my argument is that you should have access to those things, especially if you live in a wealth, I mean, every single person in the world, but in wealthy countries, there is no excuse for why we as a populace are left uneducated and unknowing about our own, our own bodies. It says here on average, we're also exhibiting some very similar behaviors. We're all having our sexual debuts and our early and having, they say early, but on average, we as teenagers are becoming sexually active. And I think calling it early is a misnomer. I think it's average that we're becoming sexual in our teen years. That's when our sexual development is starting to kick on. That's when sexual curiosity is starting to happen, regardless of gender identity, regardless of sexual orientation. That is when our exploration of our sexual and having sexual partners starts to really kick on is really during puberty. And we see an average of first sexual experiences or sexual debuts starting around 13, 14, 15, 16. And it, so as, and, and I'm not talking about non-consensual experiences. That is not what I am talking about. I am talking about when teenagers are exploring with same age peers. Okay, so I think that that's an important distinction to make that we're having our sexual debut and I'm talking about sexual debut. I am not talking about putting a penis inside a vagina. That's not what I am talking about. I'm talking about sexual behaviors. We are starting to touch one another. We are starting to be curious about kissing one another. We're starting to be curious about oral sex with one another. We're starting to be curious about putting each other's hands on each other's genitals. Like this is teenagerhood is when we're starting to do this. I could be here for an entire episode just about that. So <laughs> it is really important for, I, I kind of am, am waxing a little bit here, waxing poetic, because I think that it's important for all of us to understand that we are more typical than we think we are. So we're more likely to have our sexual debuts in adolescence, we're 
and in these wealthy countries, we're also more likely to have more sexual partners. Both are key predictors of higher rates of unprotected sex because guess what? We're not following education and requiring people to understand sexuality and understand their bodies in a very, very real, non-shaming way. Each year, the Direct claims that this results in more than 340 million new cases of sexually transmitted infections. That doesn't include HIV. So, folks, this stuff matters. This stuff, the lack of education matters. It, it, across the board, it matters. All right, moving on. It appears that based on this data that people in Asia tend to be pretty old when they have their sexual debuts by global standards, right? So this is this is across the world. And I don't think old is the best term here. <laughs> you tend to be maybe older or in your 20s. That may be a better way to put it. People are more likely to have their sexual debut in different ages across the world, but Asian countries are they have a much higher mean age. So what mean means is it is the average number. When you take the lowest number and the highest number, this is the average number between those two extremes. Asia is 21.8. So that, that you're likely to be around 21 years old, 22 years old in Asia to have your sexual debut. Africa is not far behind with the age of 20. North America, not all that far behind either, 18.7. So 18, 19 years old, people are having their first sexual debut. Europe, 18.5. Oceania, 17.8. South America, 17.4. So again, average age is probably one, uh, maybe a little bit higher than you thought. But also, again, it is in the later teens or teenage years to your early 20s when people are having their sexual debut. So I just, I, I mean, I could continue to beat that horse, but I think it's important to know that I, I'm just giving you yet another example that you're not strange. You're more than likely typical for your first sexual experiences. Something to also keep in mind, the French and Indians have short sex. At least this is what Zach is writing about in his article. While Nigerians and Greeks take their time. So this is based on what they looked at for the... <laughs> they looked at data and they looked at duration of average intercourse in minutes. So I th there's a lot to... <laughs> there's a lot to consider here. So my first question is, what does this mean? What does this mean for, are we talking about putting, were they looking at average time based on from when you start touching one another to when you stop touching one another? Are we talking about when you put a penis in an orifice? into a hole on the body. I, I, I'm not sure exactly how they measured this. So, uh, but we're going to go with it. It says it, it, they did, they looked at average based on minutes, the low, the low number here. This does not mean it is low in general, but this is just based on this chart. 13.1 minutes to 15 minutes, all the way up to on the highest part of the chart is 21.1 plus minutes. The average, it looks like in the, some of the largest countries, U.S., Canada, Russia, 
lots of Europe, Australia, is right smack dab in the middle. 17.1 to 19 minutes. And this is actually based on this data falls in line to what we see uh, really by not only just self-report, but what we see across data, across other research is that we are average sexual encounters are not all night long in quotation marks as people would love us to think. (laughs) The average sexual encounter is really from 10 to 20 minutes. That is with two or more partners. That is the average. So this this data is actually falling within the average of what we see when people report generally. Now, we're not talking about masturbation or self-love here. We're talking specifically about two or more people having sexual activity. Now, that being said, this is specifically talking about intercourse. By this count, it's uh, Zach says in his article, the average Nigerian couple spends almost twice as long per session than the average Indian pair. Why? Couldn't tell you, but it is curious. I mean, who knows? Who knows why that might be? There's some more research that could be done. (laughs) Just that. That could be a research study by itself. I think that is a fascinating thing to think about how what makes one country more likely to slow down uh, than another. Uh, it, there could be various aspects. It could be the amount of time you have in a day. It could be how many working hours are in a day. It could be, uh, we don't know. The question to me, the first question that popped up in my head is, were these single people or people who are married? Were these people or coupled? Were these people, did some of these people have children? Did they not have children? Because at least in my life, I can tell you, (laughs) I can tell you as someone who is married with children, that matters how much time you can spend. (laughs) So just, I, I, this was a, a lot of data to throw at you, but I really wanted to do an introduction to the series about what What are we doing across the world? How are we having sex across the world? How are we enjoying sexual pleasure across the world? What do we know about sex across the world? So I'm going to go and do specific episodes about specific countries and specific cultures. I believe I'm going to start with the Nordic countries. This is selfish on my behalf because me and my family want to leave the U.S., because we have, we've always had, my husband and I have had grand dreams of living abroad, working abroad, and having our children educated abroad. And I am realized, I absolutely realize the privilege that I have to even think about that. But since that is the case, that that's one of our primary interests and dreams, one of the countries that we are the most interested in living are the Nordic countries and specifically Sweden. So be on the lookout for episodes that are specific to the Nordic countries first. And any of you folks who are in any of these countries, I would love to hear from you. Again, I really would. Hit us up at Sex Talk with erica.com or you can email me erica at ericamiley.com that's e-r-i-k-a-m-i-l-e-y i want to hear from you i want to and i might even go as far as record your voice if it's something that you are comfortable with and providing your perspective on the show directly 
I I really want to hear your interesting cultural practices. I want to hear about these. I, if you've got a penis festival or a fertility festival or a vulva festival or whatever you got, I want to hear about it. I mean, just like um, like in the Netherlands, I mean, many of us are familiar with Amsterdam and we're familiar with the red light district in quotation marks. And I'm probably when I cover the Netherlands, I'm going to talk about that, but I'm going to talk about maybe more than likely in in every country, I'm probably going to talk about sex work because sex work is important work and it is work. And how does a country address it? Because that, that matters. It matters here in the United States. uh, We, we do that weird. We do it. We do it weird. We have it. We have sex work legal in some States, but not others. Why that is. I, 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 it's a frustration of mine. I think sex workers should be able to be protected and, and, and be able to do the work that they do safely and with health insurance and not have to worry about going to jail. But anyway, that's, that's me going down yet another rabbit trail. So I hope you all have enjoyed this. This is, uh, this, this article was fascinating to me and I really, uh, I'm stoked to kind of get into these different cultural practices and I hope you come along with me. If you've got questions along the way, please, please let me know. I'm happy to answer as many questions as I possibly can. Also, I want to give a shout out to uh, my Patreon folks. People are signing up for that Patreon, y'all. Get on the Patreon because I'm going to be doing Q and A's in there. I'm going to be doing lives. I'm going to be doing doing special stuff for the Patreon because I've been trying to figure out what best way to communicate with a community that was not necessarily on social media because social media is a, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to go ebb and flow and go through changes across the world for different countries. And I want to be able to have a community space that allows you to be able to access me without the fear of losing the community because somebody uh, flags it and blocks it. I can't tell you how many recently I've had so many colleagues like on Instagram in particular who've had their entire page taken down, even though they are sex educators or sex therapists or, or because their algorithm has deemed whatever their material to be, to be uh, something that the public shouldn't have access to, which is some BS if you ask me. But shout out to to you folks out there trying to get the education out there into the world and hit up the Patreon. That's uh, Sex Talk with Erica. You can find it right there on patreon.com. And I'd love to, love to, seriously, would love to have you. Also, I've been doing a lot on TikTok. TikTok's a lot of fun. Uh, Speaking of social media, TikTok, again, we have to be careful about what we say. I've already had audio taken down, even when ever all of the material that I put on on uh, TikTok is educational. I've had audio taken down. So that's another shout out to Patreon because then that way we know, we know for a fact that I'll be able to communicate to you on you and I's terms, not the terms based on a company. So anyway, it was lovely to talk with all of you. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the episode and I will see you next time.